ManaDeprived.com is proud to present Top 8 Magic Podcast with Michael J. Flores and Brian David Marshall. Brought to your ears thanks to FaceToFaceGames.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of Top 8 Magic. I'm Brian David Marshall. And you are? I am who I am. Well, he's Michael J. Flores. Uh, stuff to talk about. Yeah, man. Like, there's all sorts of stuff to talk about, by the way. There's gossip. There's factual stuff. I don't want to talk about the gossip. <laughs> well, do we, we say enough. I mean, by we, I mean I say enough nonsense as it is. I don't, I don't need to be running any names. <laughs> you don't want any friend requests on Facebook? The, oh. <laughs> I mean, if we're on that note, I've already got that today. Yeah, same. That's <laughs> you know, uh, look, I'm not anti-fellatio by any means. But I was accused of that today in context of this. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. I and mean, that's like aggro. You that know? is pretty aggro. You know, I'm like, uh, well, I, I responded with, I think you've probably thought about this more than I have. Oh, I didn't even, I didn't even get that far down the thread. Oh, I mean, it started off really civil. And then I was just like, you know, in the case in question, um, look, I don't want to talk about any gossip. I mean, I'm just saying, <laughs> blah, 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 you've been... Blanking so and so's blank for twenty years. And I'm like, well, right. he's got me there. I'd like to solve the puzzle, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> ding 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 ding. How did how did we both know? <laughs> um, well, in in the less yeah gossipy, we're uh, we're getting off of gossip now. We get off of gossip. Okay. Um, Good. Some some stuff happened. First of all, let's talk about last week's topic. First, we even meet last week. We were supposed to meet last week, and we didn't. Last week's topic is pretty good. What's last week's topic? I have until September 3rd to fill in last week's topic. Oh. All right. You got your five? Do you have five, or do you have fewer? I I have more than five. But you can only put five. But I can only put five. That's my problem. I mean, I'd vote for everyone every year if I felt like it, but I... I mean, I have more than five people on the ballot this year who I either want to vote for or have voted for in the past or have improved their resume to the point where I want to vote for them. Speaking of improving or not improving resumes, I guess I've had people who've fallen off my ballot. I was like an iron voter of Tom Martell for like a couple of years, and then he fell off my ballot. Yeah, three-year median is just I mean, he not, was... not, the, not the measuring stick you want anymore. Well, no, I mean, like... So we should should back up. So we're talking about, of course, the Magic the Gathering Hall of Fame. Now it's been renamed. It has been renamed. Because if it's just the Pro Tour Hall of Fame, that's a little too tabletop for the current regime, right? Well, I... I, Also, I guess... As they... You know, they've basically said that there's some reimagining for the Hall of Fame going forward. The Magic Esports account was... Kind of like vague booking stuff, like, hey, if what would you think a Hall of Fame would look like? And um, yeah, not that this is gossip, yeah, but I'm more venturing to to where I'm a little less comfortable speculating. Okay. I'll tell you why. It's a little close to home for me. One, if there's any kind of widening of the top of the funnel, for sure you're gonna you're gonna make it in on 14 different metrics, like as a tournament organizer. As uh, is the Pro Tour, whatever they're calling it now. Pro Tour Historian Emeritus. Emeritus. You know, That's you, what I call it. No one, wide, no one has actually called it that but me. Wide, I, I believe I've put it in print, which means that it's Wikipedia-able. <laughs> um, 
uh, you know, you know, wide contributions to that. And then, you know, of course, you know, you, you invented a lot of the stuff that uh, became tournament magic. You got half the people at Watsy their jobs, and most importantly, I think. I mean, most importantly, it's hard to rank for you as a broadcaster, right? You know, you called some of the. Some of the so, I mean, I and I, I'm longest running magic podcast. Okay. Can't can't miss that one. <laughs> um, so uh, I think it would be like it's just not it's just silly to speculate if they if they are going to open it up to people who have professional contributions outside of being Watsy employees. I would not be I would not be so modest as to not think that I should be in that discussion. Yeah. At some point, I think that if you widen. The, the funnel and you're going to bring some people in who are outside of Pro Tour contributions I think you start at Richard you start at Scaff you start at Peter some permutation of those three employees sure I mean I don't know I mean if you're going to go outside of employees that's different but See, I think employees I would not, tough. but I would not start somewhere that doesn't start with Frank Kusumoto hell yeah if I've still doesn't, got a vote, I'm voting for Frank, sure. doesn't start if he's on with, the... with Rob Hahn. Yeah. I mean, two people who changed, just changed the way people thought about, experienced, and even as we go into this modern age, sold magic. Yeah. Uh, I would also put you on that list. Well, I mean, if you're going to bundle Frank and Rob, I mean, Frank and Rob kind of started breaking the rocks before I did. But I think both of them would say that my and we were all in the same family, right? I right. worked for them, yeah. Right? You yeah. know, um, you know, uh, you know. I think my overall contribution. I mean, certainly at some point we're greater. The reason I don't want to speculate this on this over much is because I don't want to get my hopes up. The number of times that that Randy said when Randy was in charge, Randy said Mike would be first ballot unanimous if so. If is about to happen, and when I'm not first ballot unanimous, I'm be like I'm here, I'm trying to avoid being crushed. That's the thing, right? Like, so. Well, I mean, we, no one knows anything's going to happen, right? Like, I'm they, confident they, I'm not first ballot, right? But I'm saying, is, I'm saying they have, or even on the ballot. That's the thing. They have, like, there was a bunch of stuff that the esports account was kind of like flitting about the periphery of. But you know, I mean, as far you know, the only thing that you could take away, sort of concretely, is that pro points will no longer be the barrier to being on the ballot that they've been yeah. in the past because we are moving away from using pro points as a metric for a player's success. Right? So, 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 I mean, I, I think it's, I think it is, I think it's fun to talk about. Uh, it's flattering to hear a name and your, your name mentioned or my name mentioned, but, but I think it's, I'm just saying, I'm, I'm confident you're on, I'm very less confident I'm even on the ballot. And so, like, I feel like I, I would, I would have you on that. I would have you on that ballot before I would get on that ballot. If it were, t- I mean, even if it's just a matter of entry into the public consciousness, like if you do it just like, like the same way Pro Tour debut is some metric. Yeah. Well, I guess for ten years ago, I would still have myself at first ballot unanimous. If it was five years ago, I'd be pretty confident I was in the ballot. But it's not five years ago, right? You know, like so. The world's changed a lot, and I'm happy to be able to continue to contribute in the ways that I can. But I don't know that I have the Hall of Fame rev- uh, rev- revenue, the Hall of Fame resume that they're looking it's for. It's a nonprofit, buddy. <laughs> 
given given that they're moving away from you know professional accomplishments, right? Like I wrote about PTQs for most of my most of my there, you know, like I have almost no footprint in the arena universe. If they're saying like, oh well, we're moving this away because we need to make arena more more. Well, prominent. I mean, you can't. I don't see how you can have anyone like anyone's contributions on arena should really come into the picture for another eight years. I I feel like that's the direction they're going. Sure. Look, I, I, don't, I don't know. I Like I said, I'm a little uncomfortable talking about it just because like, I just don't want to get my hopes up and I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. So apart from Top 8 Magic contributors, yeah. who are people that you think, I would, think you're, would be, apart from Top 8 Magic contributors, who are people you think would be worthy of being included in a Magic Gathering Hall of Fame? I think your Frank and Rob ideas are probably super bang up. I think... I mean, this is a multiple top eight pro player who never got actually on the ballot, as far as I know, but George Baxter. I mean, like, a lot of readers, readers, a lot of listeners probably don't know who George Baxter is, but before I had ever played in my first PTQ, George Baxter's books were in Long Walden before books. Brian Weissman was showing misleading deck photos, George Baxter was I writing books. don't <laughs> want to talk about gossip. You already gossiped me up. First of all, I've never had a con- conversation with George Baxter, even one time. I like, I, yeah. I don't know. I, I've, I've, I've actually interacted with George on Facebook over this. I'm teasing. So there were, there were no rules about, like, playing with the same deck. There was no deck lists. Okay. There was, it was super Wild West way back when. One of the reasons I'm such a staunch advocate for Chris Pakula uh, on the Hall of Fame ballot every year is because Chris is one of the people who really early on advocated for the use of deck lists in both constructed and so limited events. You and I have clearly disagreed on some topics over the course of time. Yeah. I think that I have softened my position on my side of it substantially over the years, right? Like, I haven't thought about playing with Cyrillic Dragon Lord Dramacas in <laughs> five years, okay? I will. This is the extent of what I'm going to say about the gossip thing because I have read more than I cared to about this in the last forty. So, hours. so, so I mean, this is this isn't. I mean, this has been a pub, pretty pretty played out pretty publicly. This isn't as, as we're talking gossip. about one of my absolute heroes. I, we're talking about a lot of people's heroes. Uh, I mean, in fact, a, a number of people in, in this discussion. So, Brian Weissman played in an old school event. At Magic Fest Las Vegas this weekend, um, made the top eight, I believe. Beat Athena Froelich in the quarterfinals. She he, was, he won it all, didn't he? Did he win it all? I okay. believe he won it all. He won it all, um, but played two COP Reds and showed off a deck list before the tournament. I feel like a like a screen. Uh, what do you call it? A social media account. Yeah, basically posted a deck list that did like not a, have... A Baxterized deck list. Two COP Reds. And uh, eventually they reran the top eight and he uh, bowed out. After he was already on a plane, right? Yeah. So the thing is saying like, you know, first of all, I, I don't know what happened. I know. I no, do not know what happened. I don't know what happened either, but uh, it's... I mean, I have worked with Brian many times collaborating on articles. Uh, like I said, he's an absolute hero of mine. So take that for what you will. I am not going to have an unbiased position on this. Mm-hmm. 
the extent of what I will say is, um, call it 14 years ago, 15, uh, 13, but somewhere between 13 and 15 years ago, I didn't do this on purpose, right? I wasn't like trying to be a terrible person. But, like, I was fairly notorious for, like, posting some deck list and then playing a different deck or playing a different list, like, literally one day later. Because my, my, my column was called, like, Flores Friday. And I would just come up with a sweet deck list on Magic Online that night. And I was able to apprentice up, you know, the, the, a new deck. Or, like, a diff, like, just different angles on stuff. The, the most read article on Cool Stuff Inc. last year was my primer on Black Red, on Black Red Burn. Which was like a radically different seventy-five than the one that I had posted earlier in the week. Sure, right? So you're not like, contractually obligated to play a deck that you write about. No, but people always were like, it was funny because people were always like, it was tongue in cheek, like they'd be kind of mad. Uh, people come up to me in like a tournament and be like, I literally bought Star City Premium this week because of the article that you posted, and then you're playing something else, right? But then they'd laugh because they like having two different deck lists, and the second one was usually better. Right, but it would be a week off. Right, Mark Herberholtz didn't play in Nationals once because he said he didn't want to play if I only gave him my second best deck. And I'm like, and then it was funny. Josh laughs about it later. He's like, the second best deck was better than the first best deck. <laughs> we were in dispute, right? So that was the year when I don't know if you remember, but like me, Steve Saden, um, like I don't know, everybody all qualified with like the same physical blue white deck. Do you remember that? We all qualified for the Northeast Challenge. With okay. literally we just passed like passed around like Julian Levin, Steve Saint, oh, yeah, myself, yeah, yeah, yeah. Chad Castell, all qualified the same physical cards, right? And so we just got passed amongst us. That was a deck that I built, but then I like I love that um, aggro enduring ideal deck. Remember, I thought it was the yeah. best deck I ever made. So we're just keeping the enduring ideal so hush hush deck. And we had made the Boros deck too, the budget Boros deck. So many good decks, right? But like, I was like, Keezy, I'll give you this blue white deck. It's super good. Imagine Mark Herberholtz refusing a blue white deck. That's, that's what's going on right now. I'm like, this deck is really good. He's just like, he's just like, I believe you. This is not your best deck. I know. I heard what your best deck was. I heard people watching on Moto, right? <laughs> Give me the good one. And I was just like, this one's also good. <laughs> and Julian literally won a U.S. Open with the blue-white deck. Like that, and then, you know, he ended up playing Solar Flare because he's a freaking traitor. <laughs> also, Solar Flare crushed the entire I was going to say, Solar Flare had a pretty good weekend. Oh, yeah. It was 50% of yes. day two. Yeah. But anyway. It was also the origin of... Louis Scott Vargas and, and Paul Chion. Do you remember back then, Paul Chion was considered the really good one and Luis was considered the soft one? Right. I mean, I think that that was just the perception of the fact that Paul won that first event. Right? I, I think the perception was Luis didn't want it enough. That's, I mean, that's, I heard a lot of that, right? Like, they were, that Luis was so didn't want it enough. Isn't this the whole, like, his whole meme now of... You know, he's got the fire, or he doesn't have the fire, or people talk about... There's such a legitimate argument that he's just alone at number one. You know, like, he's... First of all, his results are not there, but not far off either. But his community contributions, Lap, Kai, and John. I mean, like... I I think, like, if you add it all together... Like, business, community, and results, like... He's not first in results, but he's so far away at the others. In like, if you had to just rerun where, so like everyone reorders their Hall of Fame bat. Like everyone who's in the Hall of Fame is handed to you, yeah, and you've got to sort them into order. You think that he comes back as number one right now? I think that I had an ironclad Kai John Bob, John Kai Bob, John Kai Hat. 
you know, John Kai Bob Hat. You know, like I had that. Was, I, my, my, I had my three. I had we, my we've other argued, three. We've argued expanded, about this. Expanded to sure. four, right? There's arguments about PV, the cracking somewhere in there. Apollo hasn't slowed down yet. Apollo is not near the length of their careers yet. And I think when all is said and done, it's going to be, you know, you're going you're gonna to split people up pretty evenly across the three of them and possibly the four of them with Luis also continuing to post those results. I think... I don't know how this is going to go because of the third leg of the tripod, but, like, I think there's a good chance that Reed or Huey, right? I mean, look at Huey. I mean, Huey's like a world champion pretty recently. He maxes out on Grand Prix every year. People just forget. He's, like, sitting there maxing out on Grand well, Prix every not, year. Not, not right? in a while. He hasn't really traveled to a GP unless yeah, he, they're paying him to do coverage yeah, in a while. No, you see, but, yeah, I, he doesn't have to. I'm saying, like, John thinks that Reed or Huey is very likely to overtake him or Kai decisively. Reed is unbelievably, stunningly consistent. Like, if you look at his, like, he's top five in player of the year, like, four of the last five seasons. He's, you know, just got some ridiculous number of, you know, near misses on top eights. He, I think his three-year median is 20th. You know, a, a stat that you've been known to love. He's no Tom Martell. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, Reed, Reed's, Reed's unbelievable. But we've digressed tremendously. Yeah, because you want to talk about horrible gossip. I just want to talk about the things that we love. It's you not, are what you love, It's not man. horrible gossip. I mean, this was this was everywhere on Magic, yeah, social know, media. Because and, it's, you know, look, here's the thing. Here's if the, you here's don't want the, the community to be Venom, then you and I need to not be Venom. I, I People will, I'm not being venom. Venom around I'm not, us, I'm not being venom. Be I'm just we were just we were just talking about what I happened. spat a lot of venom for a lot of years. It's okay. <laughs> uh, I do. I do. Oh, I didn't even finish my freaking venom thought. Okay. okay. Well, then, then I'll stop this. Then you could take us back to wherever you think we should properly go, which is probably better than here. Okay. Okay. All I would say is about like the posting a deck and then playing a deck kind of thing. If you're under no obligation, like you said, to put the correct thing back, in, then you were not. Back in the George Baxter, you there was no set deck that you had. Like it's pre Pro Tour, it was just kind of like you had your deck, and it didn't even occur to people on a base level that you could have modules to your deck like, that you could swap in or out, or adjustments you could make based on this. Have you heard about this thing called scouting? Like these were all new concepts that resulted. In the safeguards that we think of now, one of the things that happens in old school, the format that this tournament was played in, is that before the tournament, the players take a photograph of their deck and they submit it as their deck list. That's how deck lists are done in that format. I believe Brian Weissman would have had to submit that photograph to the tournament organizer as part of being into that tournament, if he wanted to defend himself against having two cop reds in his deck, he, he could have shown just, his marked sleeves. He could have just shown the the photo that he submitted as his official deck list. He didn't do that. He chose to he chose to back out. I'm not saying look. There's a lot of things that could know, have happened man. there. He could have just not understood the stakes. He could have said, "Hey." This is what I'm doing, and not understood the commitment of a deck list. 
in there. The not guy's a- made multiple Pro Tour top eights. He knows what a deck list is. Uh, I mean, like that's I'm, that's kind of. It. I'm just saying you could be like, oh, it's old school. So I'm so just saying you cares. could you could parse the the intent of the format differently. I I, I think it's a it's a bad look for him. It's, I would agree. It's it's there's no good look. It here. is the first it's the first tarnish on his reputation as a Magic player. I mean, he was he was known as a stiff guy. I mean, like yeah. you know, like a stiff, you know, like kind of in wrestling, stiffs are guys that you know. You're in the ring, right? The ending is predetermined, right? But, like, stiff's going to stiff you, right? <laughs> Somebody might lose a tooth for the, for the uh, yeah. you know, they're going to put out a good show. Sure. Somebody might get a concussion, right? Like, but stiff's put on a good show. That's the thing. They Stiff's put on a way, way better show than loose guys. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, I don't know the facts. I only know what I've read. Most of the people who are talking about the things that I've read uh, don't also don't know the facts. They're just speculating or they're trafficking in rumors. Uh, these are the things I know. Uh, the guy is uh, absolute pillar of Magic: The Gathering theory. He's one of my personal heroes. I would not have gotten any mer- anywhere and wherever I got without him. And um, he's been a great collaborator that I've that I've worked with many times. Uh, glad to say that I know him and. Uh, no idea what context the mistake that he made was, because clearly a mistake was made, or right. more. Right. right. So I don't know what it is, and I have not asked. I, the thing is, I haven't asked in part because, like, when you're in a situation like this, the last thing you want to do is field a thousand queries, even if it's from your friends. You know what I mean? Right. So, I, I, I don't know, if he listens to this and he reaches out to me, then I'll... Uh, be happy to chat with him about it, but I don't. I don't want to be the umpteenth person to sure, stick not, him I'm in not, the side with I poker. Wasn't, yeah, sure. I don't. I don't want to. Like don't whenever I talk about Brian Hacker for Hall of Fame Hacker, always just like ah, thanks for keeping me in the conversation. It'll, right. it'll, it'll be by the, by the way, precipitation of one of the things that Magic yeah. the Gathering Hall of Fame. Then I think Hacker is someone. How, how many times did you vote for Hacker? I've never voted for Hacker for the Pro Tour Hall of Fame. I think I've voted for him five times. Yeah, I, I would. Love, I just. I. I, I would I love think if his, Greg sent me back his, all my votes. I think his. I don't think he. I think he was a specialist uh, in terms of limited. He's constructed top eights, multiple. Yeah, yeah, I mean, what he was really known for. I just don't think he had has the results. But his his contributions were were. Enormous, and I do think that if you were thinking about a Magic Gathering Hall of Fame, I think he's much more likely to be in that than as a writer. Than, than, yes, as a writer. Like so, so the, just the fact that the MTV Magic Beach House thing even existed, yeah, is because of Pool Hall, Pool Halls of Magic. His article, like someone at MTV's brother read that article and sent it to her, yeah, and was like, "This is insane. I love this." She was like, "This is great." We want to do a show with the Dickheads, which was the name of the team. The Hitmen. The Hitmen. It was the Dickheads. It was the, yes. <laughs> it and, was the Hitmen after they got Hammer. They didn't right. originally have Hammer. It was all San Diego guys. Right, but originally it was called the Dickheads. Yeah. And Team Dickhead is evil. Wizards would not let MTV do a show with a team called the Dickheads. So they instead... Chose different people from throughout Magic and did away with the team uh, names. First of all, that team was insane. Hacker was maybe the third best player on the team, right? Truck Bowie, Daddy U, 
Marco Rabe- uh, Mario Rabena. No, wasn't he a PCL guy? Wasn't he, was he PCL? I don't yeah, it was the, who was the kid who... Uh, oh, Jason, Jason Super Z. Yeah. yeah, Jason, Jason Super Z. So it, this is the whole thing about like skill versus other. I would just talk to people who like most of the listeners aren't going to know who they are. They're like, this guy's way better than everybody else. Super hey, Z hey, was that guy. Here, here's the thing. Andrew Luck just announced he's retiring from the NFL. Right, because he can't rehab. That's what I heard. He just he, no. He yeah. just doesn't want to do it anymore. He's yeah. like, I don't want to. I'm in pain. I've made a lot of money. Yeah, I'm a smart guy. I want to go do other things. I'm out. How old is he? Twenty nine. He's literally. Has he made more than thirty million dollars. He made like seventy million dollars. Mm-hmm. But, but he's a star caliber but he, player. He's still. he's he is he is like a top three quarterback pick this year in a lot of fantasy drafts and someone who is poised to make another $200 million in his career. Yeah. Just walking away from it. Also someone who's, I mean, tremendously talented. I don't care how skilled he is. He's not getting into the pro football hall of fame, (laughs) right? He's not going to get into the pro football hall of fame. He's had a five or six year career, two years of which he was injured. doesn't matter how skilled he was. Randy Bueller. Randy got in for other reasons. So this is what I think. All right. If you really have like five criteria, the thing that bothers me is there's all these criteria. We're, we, we have been stated since the first year. These are like the four or five criteria we're supposed to, we're supposed to Which nobody evaluate pays on. any attention. And no one evaluates on anything except for Pro Tour results. Right? I, I always have. Same. Okay. Same. Right. Everybody's just like, oh, I like this win percentage. I like this many top, top, you know, like, like Wesco once said to me, he's like, I don't care what the rest of your results are. You could be the most dismal player ever. If you have two pro tour wins, we're getting you in. <laughs> right. Like that. The, <laughs> so I'm like, all right, if that's the attitude, because nobody, no, it's not fair to say nobody. I clearly care. Right. Like you care. Right. right? But like the, the, the player vote and a big vocal part of the community vote, which, by the way, is like 66% people who don't have votes, right? Right. Only talk about results. And the thing that I dislike about results versus playability, which are two different categories and always have been, is that a lot of the time, the category that we call results is just grinding, where you're just like, all right, I'm going to put in this amount of perseverance, so I just blend down a bunch of, like, a, a, an enormous amount of like a below average results in return for spiking an event every couple of years. It's not. It's not. It's so disingenuous to say spiking an event because look, all you have to do is watch a medium good Magic player get under the lights at a Pro Tour or at a GP or an SCG event for the first time, and they don't play well. as well. They just don't. Right? Like, being observed makes you aware of your decisions in a way that is outside of the flow state that you need to be in to play oh, yeah. a game I of match. I totally agree. I don't think I ever won a feature match before the year 2000. This is also true to a lesser or greater extent, but to some extent, as you come down the stretch of a tournament, you are spiking. Right? You're like, oh, I'm doing great. Your opponents get harder. The stakes get higher, and the margin for error gets ever smaller as the field narrows. It is 
disingenuous to say just spiking two tournaments or just like no one just spikes a tournament. They right? have to like, remain people can qualified. Make, people can make fun of Pierre Canali all they want, right? Like Pierre Canali, I, I will take him straight up against almost any listener. In right? skill? In skill. Same. But that, but we're not evaluating Pierre Canale versus a random listener. We're evaluating Pierre Canale against other elite Pro Tour players. So the the no, but no. I, well, I mean, Pierre is not in this discussion, right? Pierre has no. No, I understand. You're naming or Brian Davis, okay? Right. So players who have made egregious mistakes on camera, right? Including ones who have made egregious mistakes on camera and won, right? Sure. So I mean, M- Makahito Mahara is someone. Who made egregious mistakes and won an event? There are. I mean, this is obviously. And he's in the Hall of Fame. This is obviously a and much is great, <laughs> a much smaller scale. Okay, it's much, a much smaller scale. But Roman Fusco, your friend and mine, called me today about the other topic that we're going to talk about in this podcast, uh, gushing about how we, could, we being me and him, could never lose again. <laughs> he's like, we're never going to lose again. I mean, that's often uh, the, the the result when we talk about modern. But if you go and look at his regional win, it's on camera, right? Yeah. In his top four match, <laughs> it's like horrible time. <laughs> he wins game one. Game two, he basically kills himself. <laughs> and in game three, he mulligans to five, and his opponent basically kills himself twice, and Roman catches it the second time. He goes on to... He goes on to uh, uh, deflecting Paul McGrizzlebrand to win the tournament in the next round. But it's like... He's just like, I won that regional tournament. I'm like, did you watch your top four match? <laughs> you killed yourself. And then game three, he killed himself twice. Um, but yeah, it happens. But the thing is, like, we're going back. I, I, you know, Patrick Sullivan said this on Twitter last week. There's no shortage of great people to vote for. Sure. Right? So when we're splitting our – I mean – I have a reason for voting for the person. I I voted for Brian Hacker every year I could vote for Brian Hacker. Okay? I did. There are 43 people on the ballot this year. I have voted for... You're not going to evaluate that very accurately right two, now. I'm just telling you how many I've voted for in the past. Um, Three. Justin Gary's on the list, right? Uh, yep. Did you see the movie The Good Boys yet? I haven't yet. It is very funny. I recommend it. The game Ascension figures very prominently in the movie The Good Boys, which I was shocked at. I haven't had a chance to shout out to, to, to Justin yet, but I'm like, how did he get placement in this? It's a major Hollywood release. It was number one two weeks ago. Yeah. Is it the, the paper version or the digital version? The paper version. Wow. The kids are like playing Ascension. First, I thought it was like, oh, this is just a takeoff of magic. And then it was like, actually, Ascension. They start talking about Ascension. They say, hey, what do you like to do? One of the kids says, I like to play Ascension. I'm like, I don't know what Justin did. Maybe the guy who likes the movie, who wrote the movie, just loves Ascension. I'm not right. sure what it is. But, like, it, it was like, do you, think, do you think they were like, we need to make a reverse retro Stranger Things? That's it. I mean, instead of D&D, what game could they be playing? They're like... Trafficking in the collectible aspect of a collectible card game. <laughs> like these are nerdy kids who are like, you know, inexperienced, well-meaning kids who play games together and like ride bikes. And it's just ascension, ascension, ascension. And dick jokes. 
and anal beads and <laughs> dildos and vibrators and sex dolls flying through car windows. Spoilers. And Spoilers. Yeah. I think if you see the trailer, yeah, I haven't yeah, given I, very yeah, much away. Um, so who, who, are you, who are you going to vote for? Uh, Do you know? I have a list of five probables. Okay. Uh, I will do one of two things. I will either tell you the list of five probables or I will tell you the list and the reason. Which would you rather? Whichever you No, you pick. Uh, And the reason. I I will say, though, while we're talking about the Hall of Fame, I do... There's something I put in my Hall of Fame article. I want to just talk about reasons why... And We're not voting for people, why. and not reasons why not. Okay. I just, I just don't want to engage in that. I'm this super year. into that. Yeah. Okay. Um, Reed Duke. Uh, I think Reed Duke was as close to a unanimous this year as you're going to get. Sure. I, I would, I'm curious to see where he uh, ends up. I, I would. I think like 97. Right. If you're not voting for Reed Duke, I think you should get your vote taken away, and that doesn't matter. <laughs> sure. Because <laughs> my opinion doesn't matter on this. Uh, Reed Duke. Uh, I'm voting for Brad Nelson. I know that for some people that's a controversial vote. Not for me. Not for me uh, either. So, Reed Duke I'm voting for because I think Reed Duke is clearly the best candidate in the ballot. Uh, Brad Nelson I'm voting for because uh, as a fan of the game, even before I ever met the man, uh, he loomed large in a way that no player had for me in like more than half a decade. So the last time a player loomed like that, who I didn't know, who cast a long shadow upon the game of Magic the Gathering, it would have had to be someone like a Kai or a John. Brad was unstoppable. Did you vote for Brad last year? No. I did not vote for Brad last year either, uh, which was surprising to me because the buildup to Brad being on the ballot yeah. for the first time last year was such that I was, I was clearly going to vote for him. And he came down in my... Uh, into my fifth spot on my yep. ballot, which was going to be either him or Chris Pakula. And I voted for Chris Pakula over him. Uh, at the time, both had three Pro Tour top eights. And that was where I kind of had a line. And I, Brad was solidly platinum. And, and Chris, I felt like, needed every vote. And that was really my tiebreaker. Um, but couple things have happened since last year. Um, the official counting stats that Wizards using to determine eligibility criteria have changed. Now, now are more favorable for Brad. They will. They include other other, you know, things that Brad has happened to do well in. Sure, but he's also since gotten a Mythic Championship top four in the last Arena Mythic Championship. Sure. So um, I take that back. I don't remember if I voted for Brad last year. Yeah. It would not surprise me if I had, but I don't believe I did. Yeah. So one of the things I'm going to do is actually I'll ask Greg to uh, send me all my votes over the years. Okay. I'd, I'd be happy. I'd be interested to, to look back at them. Yeah. Maybe, maybe do like a revisitation. This is the last, this is the last one of an era, right? Yeah. So uh, Reed, Brad, um, first would be my meritorious ones, then my next would be my flex ones. And then Carlos Romao. Uh, I am also with you on Carlos. So Carlos Romao, I'm kind of shocked we didn't get him in earlier. Uh, and my reason for this is the guy is absolutely legendary for strategy and magic. Oh, actually, let me go back to Brad for a second before I yep. forget. Uh, Brad has not only been Brad is not only clearly the best constructed player in the world. He has been for about three years, like r- far and away the best constructed player in the world. And it's almost it's not even arguable, right? His his Grand Prix statistics at, uh, for standard are like twenty percent better than everyone else in the world. Like it's a, 
it's ridiculous how much better he is at constructed if you give him some space to play in. And I mean, like, like you can't. Okay, it's not pressure every single round. It's not like a multiple format pro tour or something, which he's also fine at, right? But he's run away the best constructed player in the world, I think. Uh, Carlos is a legendary strategic player. Uh, he has made plays that I've seen on camera that baffled me when he made them and then turned out perfectly. I'm like, I literally watched this play. This is back in the Kaladesh Pro Tour. Made no sense to me. So, uh, and I, I've wanted to write an article about this so many times, but it's a little dated now, right? Because sure. the cards are dated. And I'm like, it worked out perfectly for him. And I'm like, and I asked good players about it. And they're, and I asked John, John's like, John would have made the same play I would have made. I'm like, well, this is what happened. Carlos actually did this. And he's like, oh, that makes so much sense. Right? Like, <laughs> after the fact, right? But if you do it in real life, it was a, it was a question. Between, I think Quash, is that the name of like, the forecasting costs spell that like, removes something from game? Or yeah. Stops, I can't remember. Like, stops everything on this. Though there's one that stops everything on the stack, maybe. And then he had a, he had a Blue Gear Hulk. Okay. And we had six open. His opponent's tapping out. He, he casts the other one instead. And then has the Gear Hulk. It's crazy. It's so good. Well, I, I don't know if it's so good. It works out great for him. Okay. Sure. So, um, uh, so Carlos. So I've got Reed. I've got Brad. I've got Carlos Romao. And then these my flex slots. I think I this will be the fourteenth vote that I cast for Chris Pakula. I did not cast one in year one. If I had cast one in year one, I probably wouldn't have had to make the other thirteen votes. I, I also didn't cast a vote for him in year one, and have also voted for him. I think every year since, except for the insane year that. Where it was like Ben Rubin and Turian and Randy and everyone, just like the ballot was just like super stacked. I think I voted for him. Every, I, I, like I said, I'm have to ask Greg and Kai because yeah. I, I went through a short span a few years ago where I was I, I became a small hall guy. I don't know if you remember this. I was like I do. I was like a give me six votes guy for years, right? Because I want I, my, my main goal is to get people off the ballot, right? And, you know, there was like the voting politics were so different, right? There was like this whole. Block, geographic block that was like very different than the magic that I had come up from, and it, that's that's normalized a lot in the last couple of years. Right? I, mean, but, I think the Japanese players still get El Shafto. I mean, uh, on the ballot this every is year. Clearly not happening this year, or hasn't for a couple of years. But there was like a huge. There's a span of like five or six years where like there's like a European block, right? And then like but North yeah, Americans they, were completely. But the, which Europe, is weird. the European block felt like that they had to. Act in lockstep to offset the North American block, but there was no North American block. I know, but the like, perception. The like, but I'm saying is that was the perception. If right? there was a North American block, there would have been an American player in the Hall of Fame at some point for five years, right? Like there was clearly a European. The, the, also, the voting was like based on percentile. So like, so like now it's 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 different, right? But like they're like, all right, this is how many people get in because that's how the block dictated it. So anyway, uh, 14th vote I believe for Chris Bacall. <laughs> and I am voting for Mark Herbert. Uh, I have voted for Mark in the past. I have not voted for Mark every time. I think Mark has always been, and this is totally fair. I think I read Paul Rietzel, uh last week who said this. Mark doesn't age well. If you know Mark had gotten in ten years ago, no one sure. would have batted an eyelash, right? Like he certainly had the res- he certainly had a much better resume for getting to the Hall of Fame some years ago, right? He's like, all right, this is this is at least an arguably fringe Hall of Fame player, right? Sure. He hasn't gotten worse, but time has gone by, right? So as time goes by, the shadow lengthens. Mark hasn't particularly gotten better. Uh, I've, like I said, I've voted for him some years. I've not voted for him other years. Uh, I consider Mark a good friend. Um, 
you know, we had him on Top Hit Magic once to, to have his case on why you should vote for him, I think, way back in yeah. 2011. Uh, the main reason I'm voting for him is in a recent Hall of Fame year, everybody who got in ahead of Mark, Mark came in third, I think, in voting, uh, has since not been in the Hall of Fame anymore. And so I think, like, there is kind of a karmic spiral that I hope to be able to help close. Uh, and I mean, in terms of like purely on the merit, it is the case that Mark deserved to get in it. I mean, not to, had a very, very plausible resume. But, but it's a very strong case. It, it, it is honestly less so today. So, so I have the same first four votes on my ballot. Yeah. But I have Reed, I have Brad, I have Carlos, I have Pakula. And then there's a fifth spot that there's a number of different people who jump out to me on the ballot who I have to wrestle between for that fifth spot. Andrea Mingucci is someone who is, I think, some consideration given to, but I think pretty... Top ten on the money list already. Yeah, pretty... He, but, I mean, we, he's the invitational... Like the tournament. Yeah. <laughs> but just... Gabe Sang? Yeah. I mean, Gabe's... Got that? Got a hell of a resume. Um, How many top eights? I mean, he's got he's got the win How in Atlanta. I think it's I believe it's three. So the the win in Atlanta is a third of the top. Yeah, eight. okay. It's not a third when I'm talking I, about Yellow Hat, but it's a third when I'm talking about Sang. Uh, Jerry Thompson. Uh, you know, however people might feel about him dropping out of Worlds. Um, That's a plus. It's not a plus for everyone. There's been people I've seen people certainly say the opposite. I'm I, I, sure it's going to color some people's decisions one way or the other. But just taking that out yeah. on the merits, he's got a he's got a pretty tremendous resume, and he's got and he's got the pro tour win. Um, Talk to me about even, Jerry Thompson versus Sam Black. Well, we'll get there. No, I'm just saying I don't. I mean, I don't know how much better. Jerry's resume is than Sam's resume. Who do you think's a better deck builder? Heads up. Uh, what year is it? They're both the best deck builder in the world at some point. Jerry's the best deck builder in the world in 2011. Sam was the best deck builder in the world in 2014. I mean, like, they're not... Neither of them is the best deck builder in the world every year. Right. right? Like, I, I've, I've held this for a long time, which is actually maybe earlier for Jerry. 2011. 2000. 10 to the Jerry's run away the best deck builder in the world at, at for a stretch like 2001 ish I think I, I'd have to go back the exact time for sure Sam is the best deck builder in the world some stretch between 2013 and 2015 um, both of them have unsung networks I think Sam's network is more important to his output success than Jerry's uh, but none of this stuff exists in a vacuum right you know? like so um Right this second, I don't know if either of them is the best deck builder in the world. Okay. Some guy on MTGO is the best deck builder in the world, as far as I can tell, whose right. name I don't know for in real life, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> for real. Like, you see, these decks are crazy. Uh, Javier Dominguez, two worlds finals, including a win, you know, multiple Pro Tour top eights. Um, I don't think has, I mean, he's, he's right there on the cusp for me, but this is all. Very recent success, and I mean, he's he's I think the same thing about Mangu, though. That's I, I think the same thing about Mangu as well. I, I mean, Javier's resume is just unbelievable, and he's been such 
uh, so important in his community that I, I'm. I think he's probably my most weighted. So I think Hall of Famers are old. Pers- okay, so that's, yeah. I just think they're old, right? So Reed is about as young of a Hall of Famers I'm willing to take. I wonder who. I don't know who's older. No, Reed or, or let, let me finish. When I think, but when we look at these guys. Look at like Mangu. Look at a picture. He doesn't look old. Like, he's like he's twelve. Yes, he's got a scarf. You know, like I only know Reed is this old because I I played against him the week before his first pro tour when he right. hadn't, he hadn't played yet. Um, people who you know other more people who've won pro tours who talk about people we voted for in the past. Justin Gary. Um, I think Justin Gary. So. I think that's attention. Justin Gary versus Mark is attention that people like to bring sure. up. Justin clearly has a better three-year median, right? Like, uh, I mean, I don't know. Talk to me about Justin Gary versus Mark. What do you think? I, they've always been kind of like, they're like they're, they've just been neck and neck, and I, and I don't know how to pry them apart in my head. It used to be Huey and Ben Rubin or Huey and Justin Gary. Right now it's it's Justin Gary and Mark splitting the American vote for like a kind of a tier two. Oh, sure. And, and, and really it seems to fall down. I mean, because, because and, and again, right in the mix with them is also Pakula. And I think I, he's off to the side. He, but, but he's thrown into that same vat, right? So Adrian Sullivan, like, vociferously oh, yeah, ruining the vote for Justin Gary every single year. <laughs> I know. You know better, I'm in these Facebook groups. <laughs> we're, we're out there talking about Chris usually. Yeah. Um, or Mark. Or Mark. But I'm just saying, like, it, 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 it's... You I don't know, know if I've ever voted for Justin. I, I may have. I don't yeah. know. Have you? Uh, I don't know. I don't think so, but I'm not sure. So I voted for Chris. Like I mean, he's always... He's, uh, he's, he's been in this, like... Up against this fifth vote yeah. a couple times. Sure, certainly. So, to me, it was Becker. Becker was the first person I was just like, run away Ben Rubin, right? And he said to me once, he's just like, tell me why Ben Rubin and not Huey, right? And that was the first time I thought about it. And then there was that whole thing. It was Satan. You were on the, you were on the Huey train before most people. Ask Huey. Ask Huey how he got in the Hall of Fame. I'm not, I'm not saying, ask Huey. Don't ask me. But the, the, there was a, one Facebook thread... Steve Saden put the Facebook thread up, and he, this was his votes, and he said, I'm not voting for Huey, and this is why. He hasn't played, right? And I wrote, like, this freaking wall of a list of players that Steve Saden played with every week who were now Pro Tour Top 8 guys, who only were Pro Tour Top 8 guys because he and I started playing at John's. I was just like, in 2005, you and I started playing at John's. We created a community at John's. The following players came and started playing there. Like, Jamie Park hadn't played in years either. Brian Manakwakos hadn't played, right? Like, um, you know, Tom Martell, who was a nobody, hadn't played, right? These are the players who our community built. We made that community. And if your argument is they hadn't played, like, yeah, Jamie hadn't played either. He has, like, two top eights since then, right? And he's just like, oh, shit, you're right. Hadn't played isn't really a fair criteria, right? Sure. And... You didn't get in that year, but that was like that was just a thing that I did. It was a conversation I had with my my friend uh, on on just it was like not even a big Facebook group, but like it was I think a thing that started some people thinking differently, right? But sure, yes, I was on the Huey bandwagon early, but super transparency. It was because of Becker. Becker said to me, "Why Ruben and not Huey?" And I was like, "Well, because Ben Ruben is one of the top ten deck designers of all time, which is my default, right?" And Huey's not. And he's like, well, Huey's like, what number limited player do you think Huey is? I'm like, 
won some years. He's like, isn't those aren't those equivalent? Fuck no, because I like constructed. But yes, yes, it's probably better than best yeah, designer. In the world. It, it all worked out for the best. They're both in the hall. Of fame. Yeah, well, they both deserve it. Uh, Ken Yukihiro is someone on the ballot who I voted for last year. Four top eights, four different decks, four completely unique uh, brews for each tournament that he's top aided. Um, someone I think really, like, if Ken Yukihiro spoke perfect English, grew up in Madison, Wisconsin, and had a weekly column for SCG, yeah. he'd be in the goddamn Hall of Fame already. Yeah, you think? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, someone I voted for before. Uh, another Japanese player who I think deserves, like, the Willie Adel vote. How about Masashiro Kuroda? What are you doing to me, man? That is such an... What about Masashiro Kuroda? Okay, first of all, you're melting my heart with Masashiro Kuroda, okay? And when you're talking, I don't know about the... There's, you know, a dozen Canadians or something that are listening to this right now. But you're talking to me. You are talking to me across this table in Manhattan, New York City. Who do you think I would vote for first? <laughs> Willie Adel or Masahiro Kuroda? I, I, I would hope you would vote for both of them. No, first. Yeah. Right? Oh, you'd, you'd vote for Kuroda first. You're saying he deserves the Adel vote. I didn't give Adel a vote, right? <laughs> I was just like, that community stuff isn't enough for me. But Kuroda, he's just got a soft, I've first, got a sp- soft I mean, spot you're, for you're him. I mean, you are talking about voting for Carlos. I have a soft spot for Kuroda. Kuroda not does only, not have the play resume. Well, but Kuroda has... So Kuroda's one of the most... Uh, longest tenured Japanese broadcasters of the game now. I he gets all the additional. love Kuroda. You don't have to convince me on Kuroda or I'm not going to vote. <laughs> he doesn't have a resume. But you know, for the hard vote, I mean, easily 50% of my deck design resume is just ripping off of Kuroda. <laughs> uh, so, Sam Black. So we, That's what I'm saying. I think is, Sam is, and Jerry isn't... That's not too... I, I think... I think there's an argument to be made that Sam is higher on community contributions than Jerry. Jerry is super aces at community contributions today. Jerry was up and down over the course of time, right? Like, I'm, I'm not taking anything away from Jerry. I love Jerry, right? Sure. But I'm just saying, like, if you're going to compare Sam and Jerry, which I think is a natural comparison, the same way people are like Huey and Ruben, yep. right? Like, same era, you know, Chris and Justin and Mark. I mean, actually, Mark is so much younger than... Than, than Justin and Chris. But, like, I think that Sam and Jerry, they're similar in age, they're similar in geography, they're similar in res- They're, like, both Americans, both came out of the middle of the country, both known for being outstanding deck designers, both known for their networks in the United States, both known for their, you know... I mean, the tiebreaker would be a pro tour title? I, I don't know. I, I'm so inconsistent. I just transparently am so inconsistent on that. Sure. I love the story. I love the spike, except when I think that it's just grinding. You know, like, I I don't know. In a different universe, I'm happy to vote for both of them. I think that, like, in an expanded universe, there's expanded roles. Right. Um, but I think, like, in my perfect universe, a certain number of people get in before I'm dead, right? Or, yeah, sure. Probably I'm dead before the Hall of Fame is dead, right? Probably that's, I don't know. I don't know which one's dead first. But in the course of time that I still have an influence on the Hall of Fame, they're still giving me a vote right now. Yep. I feel a contextual... Hasn't been turned into an Instagram poll yet? 
I'm saying like Not like follower votes. <laughs> no, I'm saying wizards, right? Sure. <laughs> Vote for the whole Magic the Gathering so Hall of Fame I, I on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, when you start doing that, I get to be in the Invitational. That's what happens in a landslide. Okay, so um, if you if you uh, if you start looking at the things like I think I have a contextual. John retweeted me when I said this. I was just like, people, when people start talking about stuff too stiff, right, in terms of Hall of Fame votes, the thing that I always default to is the voting committee is made up of real people. It's made up of real individuals. You're one. I'm one. Okay? We are chosen for some reason, right? We had a place in the community. We had a contribution to the community outside of just having the requisite number of pro-tour points in order to have a voice, I believe, much like a United States Senator, that the votes that I cast should be reflective of my reason for being in the voting committee, right? So if I vote the exact same way as a first-time pro-tour voter, which is probably someone who's 20 years younger than I am and has gotten there only on merit of play skill and results because there's a pro-point pro threshold, the expectation is that that person's vote will be reflective of something different than my vote. Paulo says this all the time. He says, I'm younger than you. Right? I am X years younger than you. You have had to vote many years longer than me. If this guy was so good, your generation should have gotten him in. Sure. My generation, which is now the prevalent generation, is voting for the guys we're friends with. Okay? And that is 100% plausible, believable, and it's, it's correct from some, from some things. So I feel like my position in the committee should be reflective of something other than voting the same way that a 26-year-old pro tour player is, sure. right? Because we are in for different reasons, right? So we should be reflective of different voices in the community. The reason that any random person on Twitter doesn't get a vote is because they don't have any standing, right? Like, their standing is whatever standing was crafted by people like you, right? Not by them, right? So we cast that vote, and, like... And the other thing I've always said is, all of our votes are equally valid. So when somebody says that's a terrible ballot to me, it's like, that's not a terrible ballot. I voted for, like, you know, Ted Knudsen, you saw his book. Nobody on your ballot got in, right? You know, one guy on your ballot got in. You voted wrong. I didn't vote wrong. I voted for the best Japanese player who was on the ballot that year and the second best Japanese player on the ballot. I remember when that Japanese player was instrumental in Kenji Samura's first Pro Tour Top 8. Did you even think about that? You're like, like... I voted for this person who didn't get in. He happened to have played the best game of Magic I've ever seen, has three Pro Tour top eights, and is a hell of a tournament report writer, right? You just don't know because you're uninformed, right? Or, like, or that's, you, the, uh, that's always, the position that I, I like. It, like, look, Magic is, is huge, and it's a lot of different things to a lot of different people. We've talked about the idea that the criteria for the Hall of Fame uh, encompasses a lot of different things beyond just tournament results. And... Uh, you know, it's it, it's sort of like the idea of the, the blind man describing the elephant, right? Like, depending on what part of it you're looking at, you know, you can get a different description. And I think and I think we all see a Hall of Fame that reflects what we see in magic. And so, for example, I mean, you talked about the idea of Japanese players. Uh, Siyoshi Ikeda is someone I voted for multiple years for Pro Tour Top 8s. Uh, a store owner in Japan. Someone who was... Uh, heavily uh, engaged in the Japanese magic community's ascension from being like what were people who were perceived as an easy match at the Pro Tour to the most formidable magic nation on earth. 
for, you know, a good decade now. Do you remember uh, Do you remember when we used to do Pro Tour drafts and then I, I like won every Pro Tour draft in a row for a while? Do you remember this? So we no. Used, we used to do Pro Tour draft, right? Yeah. So uh, I, 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 I won a lot of them in a row. The one, I didn't win this one and then I stopped doing it, right? I didn't do it because I would have did, I would have won. One, like, I was really, I was like super, super long balled one because I like, I picked, I picked Guillaume Matignon and he won the, he won the tournament. With my fifth oh. vote, I picked Guillaume Matignon. Yeah, yeah, it was I picked like, like three guys in the top eight, right? And they're like, how did you do that? I'm like, and I looked at the results and I like, like it was before Raptor was famous. I was like, I picked Raptor. Um, and so uh, one year I didn't win and I stopped doing it after this. I would have won, but I picked the wrong Siyoshi. I picked Akeda, and I would have picked Fujita in the abstracts because, you know, I'm like the biggest Fujita fan on earth. But Fujita had not been attending any Pro Tours, right? So I'm like, all right, I would have picked Fujita, but I'm going to pick Akeda in Fujita's spirit, right? He's probably going to play Fujita's deck. That's the thing that I was thinking to myself. I'm an idiot because the Pro Tour was in Japan, <laughs> and Fujita made top eight. Right? <laughs> he had like not attended like five Pro Tours in a row or something. Sure. Right? So I'm like, it's, it, how, how stupid am I? Of course he's going to attend. It's in Japan. He made top eight. So, sorry, Ikeda. You yeah. cost me that, that Pro Tour top eight draft. Yeah. No vote. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm just saying that I'm, I'm, I have a fifth vote that yeah. is going to go... You know, possibly Javier Dominguez, possibly Siyoshi Ikeda... Possibly uh, Ken Yukihiro, possibly Sam Black or Jerry Thompson, and I, I, definitely I, not Mark. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think Mark holds up the other areas of criteria for me the way those people that I just mentioned do. I, I think, I think, I think just strictly like resume and, and stuff like that. I think he's he's in that discussion, but I think everyone else has something else that separates them that is some additional. Do you think Mark has a demonstrably worse resume than Sam or or Jerry? As a content creator? Uh, okay, so con- this is this is wholly disingenuous for me to say this, yeah. so I'm going to admit that up front. Both of their careers as content creators uh, basically didn't even start for one to two years after Mark's window was already closed. Right, Mark is a pro tour champion in two thousand five or two thousand six. Still has like racks up a nationals resume or whatever. Sam isn't even writing until two thousand eight. Sure. Right. Oh, Jerry eleven years ago. I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday. Yeah. I mean, I really do. My, I do too. My magic window is. Yeah. And I'm not. I'm not taking anything away from Sam. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, like, he was. He hasn't. He hasn't played his first pro tour for sure. two years after Mark's sure. windows shut. Right, I, so, I I have voted for Mark in past years. Mark Mark is Mark is certainly I could I could see myself voting for Mark, but I'm I just Mark I'm not was sure. a weekly column guy. I mean, the thing is, like, it's it's impossible to ca- compare somebody as a content creator to Jerry, who's not in Jerry's era, right? These opportunities didn't uh, exist. I, I look, I understand, but there's certainly things that people did at that time. That were, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how you. I don't know how I'm supposed to equalize for era, but it's something that's there. I mean, it is something that okay. I consider when I consider Jerry that I don't consider when I consider Mark. So I'm not advocating for 100 percent consistency. That's obviously not evident in my ballot either. I've already told you how I feel about uh, both Jerry and Sam. I'm a yeah. fan of both of them. Same. The thing that I would say about this though is compare Mark to Chris for a second. 
other than some normative things you're going to talk about that no one ever really wrote down that Chris that are attributable sure. to Chris years before the Pro Tour even started, right? Mark laps Chris. He's more top eights. He's more high finishes. He's he's got a Pro Tour win, right? Like a he's like a, a, a I think a lot of the a lot of the support for Chris, including vocal, vocal support from Mark, is about what a stand-up guy Chris is. Chris is a stand-up guy. Chris is a foundational member of the Magic community, and I do not believe that the game would look anything like it looks like today without him. Only guys over 40 get to be a foundational member. That's, that's fine. It doesn't, I mean, doesn't matter. I, it doesn't matter what the sort of counter argument. Like for me, I'm not voting. I'm and, not not yeah, voting for Chris, for, and my my vote for Chris is not rocked by the com- conversation. I'm just saying, it's kind of unfair to angle Mark from this side, and then like not recognize I, this. I, I, I think Chris has exceptional extras that. You know, and I that I recognize will not be seen by a lot of people. You know, it's like in the you know phone phone rings that vibrate at a frequency that people over forty can't hear. Same thing, like you know, Chris made these contributions to the game that are just invisible to people and are from an era when the, the game was the wild west. And uh, you know, and it's it's maybe How it's aware were of the wild westness were you when it was the wild west. How intimately aware were you versus hearing about it later? Uh, I mean, I was nose-to-nose arguing with Mike Long at every tournament I was at, (laughs) right? Like, I would find out an event after someone won an event, like, oh, yeah, we got to, oh, we have to put someone on that guy. (sighs) Was it 21 years later? Did you get a Facebook request? Is that how you got it? (laughs) Uh, So, but no, we, I was, I mean, you know, we were aware that stuff happened and that you know we had to learn on the fly how to combat it right like it was like there was a desire for from people for us to put better prizes on tournaments um attracted bigger crowds attracted more high you know uh began to sort of attract a result beyond the results of the tournament where people would um you know have an income level from doing well in tournaments. What right? time do you got to go? Uh, I got to leave here in about 20 minutes. Yeah, all right. I'm just, I'm just wondering because we got a lot of stuff to okay. talk about. Okay, right, all right, all right. Middle all of right. a great, so anyway, great thought. That's, that, I'm just saying that I was, we were aware of what, we, of what we were up against. And, you know, I did my best to sort of put my finger in the dam as many places as I could. And working with players like Chris... We were able to put systems in place that made tournaments better, fairer um, things to attend. Is that like around 1995 or, around, or later than that? It's like 94, 95, 96. 94? Really? Well, we ran our first tournament in 94, so 95, 96. Yeah, I said, well, 96, I'm already on the Pro Tour. Yeah. So 95, I, I, th- I mean, in 95, the idea of playing in a tournament was kind of, that's more serious yeah. about me. I mean, Chris, Chris was just... Chris was a pain in my ass, right? Who's the biggest pain in your ass, John Shula? No. Tom Guevin. Really? Tight Tom Tommy? I, I, I would have voted tight Tommy. I would never. Thing. I would never. I, 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 I like Tom fine, but I, I, gave him a, I gave him a warning and tried to get him DQ'd from a tournament he didn't play in. That guy was a tax 
on the judging staff, uh, on my judging staff, on my tournament staff, on players' attention. He was a, a, a narcissist <laughs> who took away from other people through his narcissism. And while he was amusing for the people who were in his inner circle, um, I think he made going to a tournament a worse experience. And I was always happy for any tournament Tom didn't show up at. To what degree do you think knowing Tom made me a worse person for the Magic community? Probably some extent. I mean, I think back, I'm like, I I just thought that was just how you're supposed to act. I thought that's just how a man acted. Right, like if, well, and that's, and that's, if you're and, nice, then you're you're soft. Right, and that's and that was the problem with that level of behavior. And Chris was the first person who stood up loudly and said, "We don't have to be." And I'm not saying that he was saying this about Tom, but in general, but saying we don't have to be animals. We don't have to be animals. We we can play this game fairly, and that's more important than anything else. And that we you know we can go to these events and trust. The results and you know, and that we can hold each other accountable to a higher standard. And you know, I believe Chris, the same way you talk about the idea that a player provides a template for you to follow as a younger player, Chris provided a template for younger players to follow that you know became sort of the dead guy tradition that benefited a lot of younger players who went on to become superstars of the game. I wonder. I wonder what would have happened to me if I didn't know Chris. I was like, I played in a couple of pro tours, and he called me once. He was like, "Why don't you play in this tournament?" And I was just like, I was like living in Ohio, and I was just like, ah, I don't want to. And he's like, "Hey, you know the difference between you and the guy, this other guy is?" He's like, "What?" He's like, "He's on the pro tour." So I, I'm like, so I went. I, I, the idea of driving to another city through a snowstorm the night before a tournament, the night before a PTQ. To qualify was foreign to me. I did it because Chris goaded me. <laughs> I won, right? And I was like, oh, wow. So I'm wondering, I, went, I, I don't know, it was like 1999. Would I have continued to be serious about magic? Maybe, maybe. I mean, I think I probably would have been. Um, so we have some other stuff. Before to we close about. off on this, yeah. just because just you brought it up. Order, height of their powers. Because you asked who's better before. Height of their powers. So you get to, it's, you know, you get to pick... You get to pick in whatever year you want. You can, you can pick this one in 2006. You can pick this one in 2011. Sam, Jerry, and Mark. Height of their powers. Who's the best deck designer? Boy, that is tough. Um, Sam, Jerry, Mark? Really? I have Mark Sam Jerry, I think. I, I, I it's it's first of all, they're all number one at some yeah, point. Yeah, right? I mean, that's why it's it's, so, it's so it's so tough to compare. I mean like the thing is like like Jerry was so, like I mean also just like wildly different things. Jerry's right? ability to tune to iterate on yes. somebody else's idea. Or even to iterate on his own idea. Like the the, the whole call blade I don't know. Jerry is the iterator, right? right. So he's if you need somebody to make the best version of the best deck, Jerry's your guy if given infinite time, right? Yeah. But if you need the most inventiveness, I'm not sure if it's if it's Sam or Mark. The thing I would say about this is they're both really good, okay? They I think Mark has greater range, and the thing that really impresses me about Mark is the ability to flip off his best friends. 
He's just like, this is how we do it. This is what's right. I don't know if I can explain it to you in the window that we have, but I'm going to be right. You have to listen to me, right? Versus I think Sam is so much more of a consensus builder. Sure. And like both have their strengths, right? But you you come away with fewer breakthroughs with the consensus builder than you do. I don't know, man. Sam has, Sam has come up with some crazy, crazy stuff. And also Sam is like able to apply his skills to limited on the fly in a way that... Wait. Sam is... I feel like Sam is the third best limited player on the uh, Sam, Sam is the best limited deck builder of the group. And I, like I, Sam, I think Mark is runaway the best limited player of the I, three of them. I'm, I'm not talking about best limited player. I said best limited deck, deck, de- <laughs> deck builder. Best limited deck designer. Yeah. Be- ability to ruin a format for everyone else <laughs> through... What he's seen. I think this is one of those he lives in Madison opportunities that yeah, yeah. people who don't live in Madison might not have. Right, let's let's pause this, start up again, and we have another topic to talk about. And I want to make just sure keep we going. About, this is, we were. Why do we have to pause it? Well, I just want to make sure we're because your screen keeps going blank. It's because like, people are calling me. Just go to the next topic. Well, the next topic. Why is... Why don't we save this? Topic? The whole reason we did podcast today is this announcement came out, right? Yeah. Um, so it's the, it's the banner restricted list. Um, Lots of stuff happened. Um, there was some major movement in Vintage. Karn is restricted. Mystic Forge is restricted. Mental Misstep is restricted. Golgari Grave Troll, our old friend, is restricted. And Fast Bond is unrestricted, which just seems... Like, I don't know what... Like, I mentioned this to Zvi earlier, and he was like, oh, good. <laughs> which, by the way, is not the reaction you want from your abandoned restricted list. Right? You never want me to go, oh, good. I, Not I that he you, plays vintage. I can tell you, I had this wonderful conversation once. It was like me, Phil Napoli, Osip, like five, five very good players. We were talking about we had to draft, we had to draft like uh, <laughs> the best deck building team, right? Like you get five picks and like, you know, who are you going to pick? And... <laughs> He naps is like he's got his fifth pick and he's just like I got all of you right and he's got so he's got his last pick he's like Paul Sly <laughs> and we're like why did you pick him he's just like I got a red deck guy like you think you got a red deck guy I got Paul Sly but Jay Schneider made that deck and he's just like oh but that's not the funny part the funny part was he picked V and he picked somebody else and he picked somebody else I'm like. If blue green is not the best deck in the format, <laughs> you're missing a deck designer. <laughs> you need a nuts and bolt red deck guy, right? Like, um, anyway, all right, all right. Standard rampaging ferocidon is unbanned, but not in best of one, right? But not in best of one. What is that? I don't know. See, this is like, I guess it's a cool feature having arena, but it's kind of dumb, right? And this is just kind of like here, for three weeks. So you have enjoy enjoy this. New toy for a little while. But you can't even because people play best of one. Yeah, well. So I, let's talk about that one for a second. I think that one's not going to get much play because the other one is so big. I feel like this is just like there's too many wild cards floating out there on Arena and they want people to cash them in because people don't have Ferocidons. Well, I, no, I mean like about playing in standard for real, right? Like yeah. not in a non-best of one format. Um how how much do you think this matters? This messes up people who are making twenty tokens at a time, right? It, it certainly is an answer to the scape shift decks right now. Is it a great answer? I don't know if it's a great answer. It's I don't I, I, I haven't played 
a lot of standard lately. I've been trying to. I've been on the draft grind, um, but I don't know how many how good they are at killing a creature. But the thing is, oh, they're not good. And they have to take a whole sort of turn cycle off to do it. So they're medium at bouncing a creature. They're yeah. like they got maybe two actual removal cards in their deck. Yeah, and half their actually it's half like. 80% of their acceleration has a 1-1 one, one body attached to it. Right. Which is that's really an interesting set of, yeah. of things with the Ferocid on. I wish they had done it earlier. It's, it's <laughs> very interesting to me. But it doesn't matter at all. Because especially you can't do it in best of one. Like, that card is not good enough to play. Does it, it might be good enough to sideboard. I don't even it, know. Does it matter with Kethis combo being, like, not everyone's really. favorite deck Kethis, right now? So, Kethis combo, I have been looking fastidiously, is not putting up... Matt Ferrando, for example, seems to think this is God's gift, right? Yeah. It's simply not putting up results. It's not in any of the 5-0 leagues. Right. I look at the 5-0 leagues every day, I mean, every time they a, publish it. it is a complicated deck to play, by all accounts. You think? It's pretty simple. It, whether you get the tools or not, it probably has a veneer of how complicated it sure. seems. Sure, But I think that it has a low likelihood of going off sometimes, and that people are perhaps not great at identifying certain elements of when you should play it, right? So Adrian Sullivan taught me a very important rule when we were when we were teammates. Like, I would try to go off on turn three with high tide a lot, right? And he's like, why are you doing this? And I'm like, well, I can go off. You know, I've got, like, a high tide, a time spiral, and a flying glacier. He's like, you can go off. That's true. What do you think your likelihood of going off and winning this turn is? I'm like, I don't know, but I've got the tools to do it, right? It's cool, you... You have the tools to start, right? But you could just draw seven lands, right? These things don't even enter into your mind, right? right? At some level, right? Oh, this is a very level one thinking that I had at the time, or maybe even level zero thinking. He taught me, he's just like, he's not going to kill you. What's he's playing a red deck? So just do the math. How many cards does he have in hand? Just like, just give him a turn or two. Let him attack you with his jackal pup. Who cares? Like, if you have to, just turn about his guys. But then I wanted to turn about for my... You don't need the turnabout for your land. You just got finished telling me you had a time spiral. You need to draw seven cards, Mike. <laughs> and I'm like, oh. So here's the thing about that deck. I think that if you force it, you have an increasingly low likelihood of going off, right? So it is possible to play the blue guy on turn two, Kethis and Amox on turn three, and win right there. That is possible. That's tough, right? You kind of need another Mox, <laughs> Right? And you need to kind of hit the lottery a lot with your Lazavs and your graveyard and, you know. I, I believe you. I haven't, I, I have not cracked the wild card for this deck because I only have a few weeks and I'm just waiting for the rotation. So what I'm saying is there is some flash to going off sure. the quickly, right? But if, just for sake of argument, if you're not dead, right? Somebody's, all right, I escape shifted off, I have like 20 guys, go, right? There's like 10 land in play. Got a pretty decent shot of doing some interesting stuff. Right. Very different than if you try to go off on turn three. And I think that trying to go off on turn three and then successfully navigating going off on turn three seems pretty complicated. But it's complicated because you shouldn't have tried it, right? <laughs> I once spent like 20 minutes describing how good I am at resource management to Bob Maher. I couldn't believe I won this game. And he's like, first of all, you picked the wrong card. <laughs> Second of all, you picked the wrong card again. So you basically won by playing, like, you had to play at 100% accuracy for the next seven turns, right? 
But if you just didn't make one of the two decisions you made wrong, I told it to be the same thing. It's like you've made the wrong play on turn two. It's quite obvious. <laughs> I was just like, oh, right? And so if I just made the right play on turn two, I wouldn't have had to play turns four through 11 so well as I did. And so like someone looking at it's like, oh, my God. Mike played that so good. He sacrificed correctly on that turn. He pitched cards correctly on that turn. I can't believe it. It's so good. Yeah. But if I just played right on turns two and three, I would have just crushed it. Uh, maybe right? not. You get, you, get, you get pretty soft when you're on easy mode. I, 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 th- I think that is true for me. I, I, play, <laughs> I play like a razor I, I if, there's, if need, there's only one play to I, see. I think you need to suboptimally put yourself in a position to play optimally for the rest of I the game. I wonder if that's why I'm so good at Modern Burn. I literally play every game like I'm, gonna, I'm about to die. Right? Like, you know, I have to play this perfectly. If he has any resources, his stars are all better than mine. You know, and it's like, you know, it's super turtle up. But like, if like, oh, I guess I'll burn him eventually. You know, like that's okay. Um, all right. But so anyway. That's exciting, though. Yeah. So that's standard. I'm not buying any standard cards. The big news is modern. Yeah. Um, Hogak Arisen Necropolis banned. I don't think very surprising to anyone. It put up five players in the top eight this weekend at the Grand Prix. So the last three Grand Prix were uh, five, three, and four, three, and five? Five, three, and five? And yeah, the, the second-place player from Birmingham is the winner of the yeah, Las and, Vegas. Yeah, and, so. and, and Luis, I was watching some of the coverage, and Luis pointed out that at every stage of cuts in the tournament, yeah. its percentage of the field increased. So it started out as 11% of the field on day one. It was 20% of the field on day two. It made up um, five of the top eight decks. It was both the decks in the finals. You know, it's just like... It, it, it was. Just Isn't it frustrating the obstinance with which Watsi allowed this to persist? I mean, they have a, they had a date coming up. Like, why not wait until the till the date? Why not do it before the Pro Tour? Then they banned Bridge from Below. I don't know. Maybe they didn't think it would be that bad. I mean, how? I, I don't know. We I mean, said how bad it was going to be. We said how unintelligible games were going to be right before the big event. Maybe they thought it would be exciting. I actually didn't want them to ban anything before the Pro Tour. I actually wanted to see 35% of the field play Hogak with Bridge from Below. Why? Because in the grand scheme of things, that's memorable when you look back. Those are moments in time and moments in history. And we remember PT Academy. And we remember, like, you know. I buy it. I'm just into it. But okay. that's not the point. Faithful Sluting is also bad. The funny thing is Faithful Sluting is probably worse than Hogak. Yeah. It I took mean, a long time to ban I mean, it. I think, yeah, Faithful Sluting and Ancient Stirrings are, are the cause of a lot of problems. It was modern. four of in the mono-red aggro deck that made top eight of uh, yeah. three Grand Prix ago. But the big news is not either. I think both of those cards that have, people have sort of had circled up. You know, at their, like, Ravnica post office. Oh, everybody Like, their this. pictures were up there. Everyone knew this was coming. I'm a dummy. I, sh- I, should, have, I should have speculated on these guys. They're good for legacy anyway. Um, Stoneforge Mystic is unbanned. I cannot wait for the PTQ in two weeks. I am spiking the bejesus out of it. Really? Yeah. Cannot wait. So, also, just going back to what... I was going to play Burn anyway, and they just, they just took the training wheels off. Or, I'm it, sorry, they put the training wheels on. It was, it was insane to me to see this. Like, I was, again, watching the GP coverage, and Marshall's like, oh, a lot of people are talking about 
Stoneforge Mystic is a card they'd like to see on Ben. And Luis just scoffed at the notion. Yeah. He's like, no, they're never gonna they're never gonna ban this it. card. And he's like, really? You think he's like, yes, this card is just not a card I want to see. Yeah, yeah. He's like, I would rather see Splinter Twin unbanned before I would see. <laughs> Same. <this."> I mean, <laughs> what? sure, if that's what you're talking about. You, you're giving me eight Jaces too. Yeah, this is. Re- oh man, we could have a great modern format. Yeah, totally. this is great. All three is great. Love it. Really? Love it. So why, why are you so excited about Stoneforge? I was going to play Burn in the PTQ in two weeks anyway. Okay. okay. Uh, Roman is quietly top four to PTQ with our Burn deck. Just missed top eight last week. But in the last round, I think, I think he might have lost a Hogak though in the last round. Um, uh, these changes are phenomenal for Burn. Um, it's not even Hogak, which is obviously the boogeyman deck, but that's the problem. It gets rid of Dredge. <laughs> Can't beat Dredge, but this is this is great, right? No Dredge. Um, so the the decks that are bad for for Burn are like Dredge and Merfolk, and nobody plays Merfolk, all right? So I mean, this is just going to be all decks that we can beat, and people I think are going to overcorrect early on for Stoneforge Mystic. You know how like people played way more Bloodbraid Elves than Jaces. You can beat a batter spell? Are you kidding? I don't think I've lost to a Stoneforge Mystic in a Legacy. Because I played Burn and Legacy half for like five years. I don't think I've ever lost to a Stoneforge Mystic in Legacy. I, I might be wrong. I drew with Jonathan Tukenik once, and then we played for fun, and he beat me. But that's not a, that's not a real tournament finish, right? He's really good. He's really good. But like, I I mean, I am so not afraid of somebody's one-two. So the thing that they don't understand is, yes, if they get a Sword of Fire and Ice, their guy will be protection from red. Yes, if they get a batter sculpt, that's a 4-4 lifelinker. Guess what? It has to live, right? Do you know how good Searing Blaze and Searing Blood are against a 1-2 creature? <laughs> it is going to be a harsh wake-up call for people who think that their equipment is going to get them out of anything. You, you don't think you just get Maverick to death? No. I, I know how to beat those guys. And the end of turn, Aether Vile, my Stoneforge Mystic in. Not worried. Untap. Zero percent worried. You got to play your Eidolon. You're not going to play your Eidolon. I mean, probably getting sided out in that matchup. <laughs> but, like, I mean, I was siding my Katakis in against humans, right? It's just attacks on their Aether Vial. Right. Like, seriously, if you have to pay for your Aether Vial, what advantage are you getting out of it? But you still have to... There's all kinds of instant speed removal. It's not just a question of whether or not the card exists, right? It's that they have to have the mana to operate it and or the mana to equip it. Like, it's a five mana... Swing to get some, to get a sort of fire and ice onto somebody. If you're holding a searing or a lightning bolt, you just kill their guy. They literally time walked, probably took three damage. You're gonna wallop them for like eight damage the next turn. Like this is such a this is such a tricky thing to play perfectly from their side. And the thing is, they don't have cards like True Name Nemesis. If you have True Name Nemesis, like you do in in Legacy, it's a different story, right? You can get your equipment online. Sure. Right? It'll take a little time, but you can get your equipment online. That is not the case in formats without True Name Nemesis. So there's a lot of ways that this can go. And I am, I'm confident. I, I'm very confident who the good guys are here. So you think, like, Shaheen Sarani packs up a giant van, caravan of players to go play, like, blue-white mystic decks, and you're just like, yes? Um... I would say it like this. 
I have always supported Shaheen's choices in life. <laughs> I have so when people were telling Shaheen he's stupid for not playing Cowblade, I've been I've been the first person on Twitter to be like, Shaheen knows what he's doing. He's a good player, and then he goes on to XO day one of his Invitational or whatever that. He's like, see, my deck choice is good. I am confident that at level one, and I I consider level one to be Stoneforges and Jaces. I'm murdering these guys. I mean, murdering them. At a deeper level, if they are now, instead of being Cobblade-ish guys, they're more like timely reinforcements-based guys who happen to have Stoneforge Mystics in their decks. So they're less a Stoneforge Mystic guy. They're less a Jace guy. They're a timely reinforcements guy who's got this other accoutrement going on. That guy could be problems for me. I don't think that deck... Maybe that deck never develops. But I don't think that deck is likely to develop at all unless people like me are successful. And I think what's more likely is that this is how many large-scale formats are. A bunch of people at very large scale play their 45% win percentage deck for years. I've, I've said the same words okay, to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jund, fairies, you know, all, all whatever. The, whatever, just play your 45 win percentage deck. I just play my tournament every once in a while. I was coming in and be like, oh, yeah. A lot of people seem to be playing Cobblade. Hey, I made this thing called Splitter Twin. Right? <laughs> All right. I mean, am I, I just say the same let thing. Me, let me read you a line from yeah. Ian Duke's article yeah. about Stoneforge Mystic. Our hope is that as gameplay becomes less graveyard focused, Stoneforge Mystic serves as an enticing draw for decks to refocus toward the battlefield, creature combat, and card advantage. This is all ridiculous. (laughs) Stoneforge Mystic is a busted card advantage slash mana engine. It costs too little mana. The reason, only reason that it is not a scar across our eyes that is drawn in acid is because it allows opportunities for decks, typically combo decks, to angle the stupid Stoneforge Mystic player when their mana is tapped on their own turn. Let me ask you a question. That if, is, if Stoneforge if Mystic outside of this, it is a blight. If Stoneforge Mystic cost blue one, yeah, and blue one to activate, no would one this, would ever play any other color. It would, it would never would have come off the bad line. Come right? on, it's a stupid thing to ask. <laughs> well, no, it, it, no. The re, there, so the reason I ask it is, I saw there was a thing Sam was tweeting about today, Sam Black. Where he was like, he's like, I think Narset is a perfectly fair card. Yeah. If it costs one white white instead of one blue blue. <laughs> Narset's very good. <laughs> Narset's very good, but like, you know, do you, do you think you think that the part of the reason that Stoneforge Mystic is even tolerable is because it's in white? No. Here's the thing. I think that the Maverick guys are gonna. There's gonna be so my window is different. Okay. Uh, magic, like we talked about earlier in the cast, magic has moved and magic has changed. I have always been a guy who's just like, I have a paper tournament coming up. I am preparing for this paper tournament. I don't care if my deck is good the day after. I have never cared, sure. right? I'm like, I'm winning today. People are going to copy it because I'm a famous writer. And I, but then they're going to complain that it's not good anymore, right? Like, I, I, when I, we did the thing for Utah, right? I'm like, I'm going to make this five-color dragons deck. I am so utterly prepared for this tournament, right? Remember, remember yeah, this? Yeah, like, yeah. Or I, when I played the Rock, that actually ended up being very popular for a long, way longer than it should have been, right? When, um, uh, and that was that was Saul's deck, right? But no right. one had ever heard of it, before, yeah. right? So, uh, and it's half only because I beat Mikey P to win that trial, and then Mikey P won the Grand Prix, and when I won the PTQ the same week, right? So, 
But like, same thing. Like the blue red deck I made. It was funny. It's same, same, same freaking building. I won the last PTQ that was in that building. I won that 5K in that building. I'm gonna win this PTQ in that building. Oh, this is at the the hotel. Yeah. Woo! I won the 5K when in that it? building. When is it? Saturday. It's in two weeks. Oh, two weeks. So I prepare for a day, right? I mean, I'm going to be there on that day, and I could give a fuck if my deck is playable the next day. It's a modern PTQ? Yeah. There's not going to be any green-white Mavericks that day. All the guys who are crazy about Stoneforge Mystic are going to have Jace in their deck, and they are going to get face-planted by searing spells. Okay? I I mark my word. The only question is whether or not they're sun-baked canyons or black leaf cliffs in my deck. I've got four Vengevines at home. No Hogax. (laughs) I'm going to see if I... I know Faithful Sleuthing was, was an important card here. Fauna Shaman, man. But I'm going to see if I can make this work. And maybe I'll build a deck and I'll go play in the PTQ. Um, I would love it if you did. That would be that would make me happy. Remember the last time you played Vengevines? We both qualified. That <laughs> There's only one slot this time. I still have those four Vengevines. Yeah. Sold a lot of cards since then. Not those four Vengevines. So I love it, and I love it for two reasons. One, this is so far and away exactly the right mana. But this, I would say, this is exactly the combination. I was just like, I, I think I said we should get rid of Altered Dementia before. Yeah. But I, did I? I don't remember when we were doing, when we were doing that one by Joe, yeah. like before the Mythic Championship, and I'm like, this doesn't even look like a Magic deck. Like this yeah. is just like a hodgepodge of cards. Uh, did I say that they should ban Faithless Looting that day? I don't remember. But I we, certainly, we certainly said Hogak and uh, and Bridge from Below. Yeah. Right. So I love the fact that they're undoing Stoneforge Mystic. Stoneforge Mystic is clearly too good. Right, but you know, how much better is it than Eidolon? <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see. Um, that's all I have time for today. Unfortunately, happy to do follow up later in the week if you want to go more talk more about it. Maybe we'll do a, a PTQ preview and potentially a, a PTQ cast uh, in two weeks. I, I got to get permission, but I'm so excited. I, I was planning to play. Okay. So plan it to All play. Right. So if you're if you're gonna be if you if you once you get permission, let me know, and then I will I will plan on attending as well. I cannot wait. You know what else kills the heck out of a stone forge mystic? What? The Grim lava mancer. Pew 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 <laughs> pew pew. Oh man, it's gonna be so good. Well, I have some grim lava mancers too, but I don't, I don't think I want to play red. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just want to. I want to be. I want to just tilt the windmill of the graveyard deck with with the two big tools uh, discarded. From the deck. What, what, what's well, that? they lose faithful looting and Hogak, right? Like, I just want are you going to play Goblin Engineer? I don't know. <laughs> that goes to the... I don't know. We'll see. I think. What if you fauna shaman? I think that's a little slow. I mean, I, I did fauna shaman once before. Uh, was, so, was... so fauna shaman is on the order of stone. Is it? Gets one. I don't have time. I don't have. I don't have time to build this in my head right I now. I don't know. Like, there's tools for the fauna shaman deck that it didn't have back then because. Um, discarding a grave crawler to a fauna shaman didn't to, exist to get a vengevine to discard to get a vengevine to discard to get like carrion feeder over a couple turns okay. seems pretty Ryan, absurd. It's not a survival of the fittest. <laughs> it's a fauna shaman. This takes four turns. Two, two, where uh, you just two, two turns, like on the end of a turn, beginning of a turn, to get two of the pieces. Well, he had two fauna. Well, yeah, that would be, be yes. Yeah. All right. All right. Top so Magic. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for listening to Top Eight Magic. Uh, Brian Marshall, Michael J. Flores. We'll see you uh, next week. Bye-bye. Thank you, season.